rescued, uh, we had Hurricane Force 12 for 18 hours that battered the boat. We found ourselves uh, out, way out west in the middle of the North Atlantic in December, the worst time of year to, to be out there. She was a revolutionary boat capable of speeds of 40 knots and more. Hi there, I'm Alex Bennett and welcome to this podcast, Mid-Atlantic Rescue Hurricane Force 12. Cast your mind back to the year 2000. The dawn of a new millennium was upon us. The Y2K computer bug was at the forefront of many people's minds and the dot-com bubble had undeniably burst. In England, sitting in a huge yet unassuming boatyard hangar within the depths of rural Devon, a monster sailing yacht was about to be born. The giant catamaran was called Team Phillips. She was both a revolutionary vessel unlike anything the world had ever seen and also one of the first of a new generation of giant or G-class multi-hull yachts created for an event simply known as the race. The race was a global no-holds-barred and non-stop sailing race around the world for the fastest and most technically advanced multi-hull yachts ever to be created by mankind. An elite event to embrace the dawn of a new millennium. Hundreds of people had applied for one of the crew positions on board Team Phillips from all around the world. Sailors with far more experience than myself had all expressed their interest. Yet when it came down to it, I was one of a few privileged people who secured a place on board this innovative and groundbreaking project. In March 2000, as the boat slowly edged her way out of the bilgeshed and onto the banks of the River Dart, the whole team at Goss Challenges, including myself, thought we were on the edge of a supreme roller coaster ride. We were, although nobody could foresee just how this project would unfold. The question of whether this multi million pound super catamaran would go out and set new world records had yet to be answered. We all felt like we had a ringside seat for the biggest adventure any sailor could imagine. Team Phillips was the biggest of her kind, and when you consider the numbers, she dwarfed virtually all her competition. The proportions of this supreme space age craft were mind-blowing. 120 feet long, 70 feet wide, and capable of speeds in excess of 40 knots or 50 miles an hour. Team Phillips was indeed a bold departure from the norm. Spectacular in design and appearance, her twin unsupported rotating wing masts were so big that you would actually need 10 double-decker buses stacked on top of each other just to reach the top of the masts. You could even park 70 BMW cars between the two hulls and the boat was bigger than the centre court at Wimbledon. Never before had such a craft been launched. At the time, she was the largest composite structure in the world.
everyone at Gosh Challenges, including myself, we all expected Team Phillips to be a fabulous vision of the future. And in many respects, she was, albeit a short-lived one. Sadly, Team Phillips didn't last long enough to prove the negative voices of the sailing world wrong. But a few things we do know for sure. Team Phillips was unique, divided opinion, and super quick. That's for sure. During our short time at sea, we saw speeds close to the 40-knot barrier with ease. During the height of the ferocious storm that led to her demise, we achieved over 30 knots sailing down the face of huge waves without any sails set at all. But ultimately, it was deficiencies in her structural engineering and the build that led to her premature demise. Had she been structurally up to the demands of sailing around the world, I think history would have told a different and more positive tale. However, yesterday will always be the past, and history suggests the big cat was frankly a bit of a white elephant. But this is a real shame, because actually she wasn't. While I think Team Phillips would have been unlikely to have won the race around the world, I think her design brief had the potential to break records, given time and experience on the water. It's an interesting and not that well-known fact that many of the giant multi-hulls which finally entered the race all suffered structural problems of one kind and another. Team Phillips was a very public project from the outset. She was named by Her Majesty the Queen in front of the world's media next to London's Tower Bridge. Everything was in the mix for a triumphant campaign. As one of the lucky crew members who would actually sail on board the boat, I felt as though I had won the lottery of life just to be part of such an exclusive and groundbreaking project. Even now, with the benefit of hindsight, I would sign up and do it all again if such an opportunity presented itself. This project was pioneering, groundbreaking. I think it's human nature to push boundaries and go beyond the known limits, to stand on top of one mountain and wonder what is beyond the next. One thing is for sure, without pioneers and those who choose to push the limits and beyond, mankind would not evolve. To succeed, you sometimes have to be bold. From the drawing board and beyond, a radical design such as Team Phillips was always going to be risky business. Whether it be from a competitive perspective or ultimately the viewpoint of basic safety. In simplistic terms, I think we were always going to win big or lose big. It's fair to say, we all knew the risks. But when the stakes are this high, it's never easy. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it. Sometimes it comes down to the fact that someone has to have the balls to step beyond the norm, break the mould and walk a different path. Success is never guaranteed, 
and sometimes we are all forced to accept failure. That's the roller coaster of life. The head of our project, Pete Goss, had a vision and a dream to build one of the fastest and most advanced sailing boats on the planet. From that viewpoint, we succeeded. The following audio highlights the story of our fight for survival during the hurricane conditions, which ultimately sank the giant catamaran in December 2000 out there on the Atlantic Ocean. If you want to hear the full story, my book, High Seas, High Stakes, drills down into the detail. I hope you enjoy it and don't forget to click the subscribe button. How did we find ourselves out there? Well, we were um, sailing, we'd sailed around Britain the long way up through the North Sea out into the, into the uh, North Atlantic with a view to sailing the long way down to uh, Barcelona in readiness for uh, the race, which started in Barcelona at Christmas. And um, we were still, we'd, we'd been plagued with a lot of problems on that boat because it was a cutting edge design, state of the art, 120 foot long, 70 foot wide. And long story short, we got caught in, in, this, in this terrible weather um, and a low pressure system developed that blocked our gateway south to better winds. And a secondary storm developed, on, they combined to create uh, what is in layman's terms, a hurricane. And we had 75 knots of wind sustained for 18 to 20 hours. The sea state was just huge. I've never seen sea like it since. And I've since sailed around the world through the Southern Ocean and around Cape Horn, and I've never seen weather like it. Um, these waves were huge. I mean, the ship that eventually picked us up, uh, scooped us up out of the water, was um, a container ship. It was a massive container ship, 53,000 tons, a couple of thousand containers on the deck. And we had to climb up the side of this ship uh, from the deck of our stricken catamaran. And this is a big catamaran, 120 foot long yacht. You know, this is a big boat. Um, and she was just dwarfed by both the conditions and the size of this freighter that had thankfully come uh, to find us and pick us up. But when the ship came on scene, uh, we were in a pretty bad way, it has to be said. The, the boat, our boat, was on her last legs, falling apart. The structure was delaminating everywhere where the beams connected to the hulls. So if you think of a catamaran, the, there's forward and aft beams and they connect into the hulls. The rear uh, beams were pulling out of the structure and um, there was a central accommodation area on this particular boat, which was called a pod, 50 foot long. Um, and that was raised above the water by about 12 feet. So it was out of the water all the time. Uh, and that housed our kitchen. It housed our communications and nav center uh, where we slept. It was all in this pod and the pod was breaking up um, and threatening to fully detach from the structure of the sailboat. If and when that happened, we would have lost all communications to the outside world because our Inmarsat system uh, would have failed. Everything was in there. And also we'd have most likely lost our steering, which would have meant that we were effectively a raft on the ocean in hurricane force winds. So there came a point when we knew we had to get off and make the very difficult decision to abandon the boat. But after that decision was made, you know, things don't happen quickly other than certain death. So, uh, 
there was only one ship it turned out that was in a position to maybe come and help us and they were men of the sea uh, and incredible people german freighter uh, under german flag uh, the hoist express it was called i'll never forget it those guys saved our lives um they came through the most diabolical weather i could imagine came alongside found us amongst these these huge liquid mountains these seas that were well i'll give you an example when the ship came alongside us the seas were so big rolling underneath and and and, and also over the top of this ship that one minute we were looking at the waterline uh, of the freighter and a wave would roll through and the next minute we we're eyeballing the captain on the bridge deck and it later transpired we asked the german captain we said you know this at a later date we asked him how you know what was the distance between the waterline and the top he said 50 feet so the waves were at least 50 feet, no exaggeration. It's very easy to exaggerate wave height at sea. Um, it's a bit like the fishing game, you know, the fish was this big, but the reality was this was wet, wild, and very intimidating. Uh, we all got off. Um, it's a long protracted story that, and I go into detail about it in my book, but the reality is we all got off the boat. Um, we survived, no one died, but to be fair, if I'm honest with you, um, we were a bit lucky. We were a bit lucky. It wasn't our day that day, and we all came home. But we, we'd all said our goodbyes to our, to, in our own minds, our families. We, we had the, the strange thing was we had the luxury, if you want to call it that, of knowing this storm was going to hit us before it hit us, and we knew the boat was in trouble, um, and we knew it was going to get worse. So Pete, our skipper, phenomenal seaman phenomenal leader of men and women uh, he said to us all individually okay you know the scenario um, if you want to phone home and say something to your families now's the time to do it before the, the, the worst of the weather really kicks in so we all decided to take the opportunity and when it was my turn um, I dialed the number walked into the cabin by the way the cabin was already had cracks propagating all around the structure right in front of us and getting worse by the minute. Um, I dialed the number and I prayed that it wasn't my mum that picked up the phone. It, and in reality it was dad because he knew the situation was unfolding. Uh, and dad and I always have a, a private agreement that if anything ever goes wrong at sea and I have to phone home, um, it's always dad that picks up the phone because to be honest, <clears throat> I don't think, I, don't, I just couldn't, I couldn't put my mum through it, you know? And at the time I remember thinking, I can't talk to my mother, you know, I just can't do it because I know this is the end for me. And, um, or, or that's how it, it, it appeared to be at the time. Uh, so dad picked up the phone and he, he, he said, what's that noise in the background? I can hear it. Part of it was the wind, but the, the, the point he was referring to was, the boat was literally breaking up around our ears and uh i said well you know that noise is the structure giving out you know we're we're a bit we're in the doo-doo and um anyway i said what i needed to say to, to dad and mum i knew mum was listening dad was upstairs on the upstairs phone and you got to remember this was year 2000 so there was a cable phone upstairs and a cable phone downstairs and the two of them were on one each so mum could hear what was going on but i, I just couldn't bear to sort of say goodbye to my mum in that way it was just too unfair um 
So that was a pretty raw deal, but we got away with it and we survived. And we, scenarios like that either make or break you, I think, as a person. It doesn't matter whether it's a sailboat accident, a car crash, a plane crash, a tragic scenario, whatever. These scenarios, they either make or break your character. Some people would never go to sea again. That was never in my mind, but I did take away a lot of lessons from that episode. Um, learned a lot. Our time at sea with Team Phillips, it's fair to say, was troubled. The magnitude of the storm still plays out in my mind. From one perspective, it was one kick-ass ride into oblivion. On the other hand, it could be argued that we were so lucky to survive what was an incredibly dangerous, volatile and high-octane situation. So many of these stories of disaster on the high seas can only speculate what might have happened because nobody actually came back to tell the tale. I'm mindful of that. I like to think we got through the worst of it though because we were united as a team, well organised and prepared. That is all certainly true, but it's only half the story. During the worst of the weather, we had to react to a rapidly changing environment as it unfolded. Our fantastic super catamaran did hold together long enough for us to rendezvous with the German freighter. I'm convinced if she'd broken up completely while we were still on board, I wouldn't be here to make this podcast. With the sea temperature close to zero and hurricane force winds, we wouldn't have lasted long in the ocean. The hand of Lady Luck certainly plays her part. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to read the full story, you can get your own copy of my ebook, High Seas, High Stakes, from the website, alexbennett.co.uk. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to sharing more of my adventures out there on the ocean in future podcasts. So stay tuned for the next episode.